Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Tanya Powley, our personal finance correspondent, Sam Jones, hedge fund correspondent, and Charlene Goff, retail banking correspondent. Down the line from Paris, in addition, we have Michael Stottard, our correspondent there. This week, we'll take a look at Help to Buy, the new UK government policy, which starts this week amid fierce debate on whether it will cause house prices to rise. We'll discuss the news that US hedge fund manager John Poulsen has confirmed his investment in two Greek banks and ask whether this is a sign that the Greek economy is recovering. And finally, we'll take a look at French banks showing signs of growth for the first time since the disastrous summer of 2011. First, though, to that story about help to buy. The last phase of this project is a government-funded guarantee on mortgages for first-time buyers. I suppose the idea is this should be a big boost. It'll essentially guarantee the, the most highly leveraged mortgages. Tanya, you've been looking closely at this whole story for a long time. Am I right in thinking that essentially this should allow anyone who wants to borrow with a deposit of as little as 5%? with a government guarantee now. It does. It basically opens up the sort of higher loan-to-value mortgage market, which obviously means, like you say, those house buyers and home movers that only have a small deposit of, say, 5% onwards. This stated aim of the second part of the scheme is to kind of really boost the number of these products available to people because they believe that the number of these products have plummeted since the credit crisis, which which it has, and it really wants to get um, more homeowners onto the property out there. Charlene, the whole idea I suppose that opponents of this scheme would have is that the availability of these high loan-to-value mortgages did plummet post-crisis because everyone was borrowing far too much before the crisis. I mean, should we be really encouraging or should the government really be encouraging higher loan-to-value again? Well, that's definitely the concern. I mean, they were taken off the shelves for a reason. We had a huge amount of homeowners ending up in negative equity. I mean, pre-crisis, you could borrow far more than 95%. You could go right up to 125% of the property value. Northern Rock is the obvious one that was very aggressive in that area. And Look what happened to them. (laughs) So lenders have been particularly cautious about these also because house prices have been falling for a number of years. They've obviously started stabilising, going back up again now. So you could say that actually even without the scheme, this is perhaps a more logical time for banks and building societies to start going back into this area because they're a bit more confident that house prices aren't going to fall again. But that's not to say they couldn't do so in future. And I think that's what a number of the big banks, Barclays, HSBC, have been a bit wary of around the scheme that, you know, they're sort of being urged to go back in and that could lead to more problems down the line. Big question for you, Tanya. Is it going to lead to a big blow up? Are the, are the, <laughs> are the skeptics right? I think it's a bit too early to 
say it will be interesting to see how it plays out. Like we say, so far, only the partly state banks, so RBS and Lloyds Banking Group, have actually committed to the scheme from the outset. So we still don't even know how many other banks are going to take part. And also the question is actually, obviously, there's, this will help more high loan to value mortgages come available. But actually, the government's been to pains to stress actually that the criteria will still remain strict. It's not going to be an open free for fall for everyone. It doesn't mean that you necessarily just because you've got a five percent deposit doesn't mean that you actually be able to get a mortgage through the scheme. No, that's a good point. And that idea of affordability has been something they're really stressing that they're actually doing quite stringent checks and particularly around when interest rates are going to rise again. So they're not just making sure you can afford it now and they're making sure borrowers will be able to afford it when interest rates are significantly higher and particularly around these high LTV mortgages. Yeah, I think that's in, in private. A lot of bankers are concerned about that affordability factor, not least because even though the government guarantee applies to the top level of these high loan to value mortgages, if the banks ever had to come back and claim on that guarantee everyone would see it as another bank bailout and look what damage that did to credibility of the sector over the past few years. Mm-hmm. We should move on to our second topic, which is about Greek banks. A small banking sector really in Greece, but it's been a pretty volatile time for them there. And the signs though of, of stabilisation, particularly over the last few months as the Greek banks have been able to raise money in the private sector, even though they were largely nationalised after the crisis and the, the bailout by the uh, so-called Troika, we've had evidence emerge in the last few months that US hedge funds have been piling into the Greek banks. Sam, you've been looking at this and you spoke to John Paulson, one of the US's best known hedge fund managers and one of the most bullish on, on Greece and the, the Greek banks at the moment. That's right. John Paulson, best known for his shorting of the US subprime housing market in 2007, is the latest in a series of of hedge funds to get involved in Greece. And and their kind of involvement with the Greek banks is really the second part of a Greek trade that began with them buying Greek government debt in about this time last year, actually, uh, and making a packet doing that, and now looking to Greek banks as the best way to invest and make money from an opinion about where the Greek economy is going, i.e. that it's recovering. I suppose, yeah, the the argument about banks is always somewhat of a leveraged trade on the the underlying macroeconomic direction. What exactly has happened in terms of this Greek bank trade? As I said, there were capital raisings at a few of the banks, Piraeus and Alpha, Mm. uh, notably, a few months ago, when we saw not just Paulson, but quite a few hedge funds coming. Yeah, I mean, Paulson actually isn't, was, was not the first mover. That There were hedge funds that started getting involved when Alpha had its recapitalization. I think that was as far back as May. And at the time, there was a sort of small group of US hedge funds that looked at the recap and sort of thought that was an attractive opportunity. But the real opportunity, I think, for a lot of them was in these warrants that came attached to the shares as well. So you get a, you get a share, you get a warrant. And the warrants convert to equity at, at a set point point and the economics of it are very attractive a lot of these hedge funds reasoned and it's actually the warrants that's been the area where they've made the most money yeah because they're separately traded so they are yeah and they seem to have kind of almost doubled in yeah i mean people i've spoken to are talking about having made as much as 280 percent on a warrant trade and in the space of three four months that's an incredible return now this is obviously politically potentially controversial in greece where i suppose the takeover effective takeover of the sector by u.s hedge funds I suspect wouldn't go down that well. But bankers and others are seemingly lobbying the government to allow a faster reprivatisation of the nationalised stock that they have because they say hedge funds are clamouring for more of the the shares. Mm. It seems possibly unlikely that that'll happen because I think they would need some softening of the Troika's 
bailout criteria, but it feels very much as if the hedge funds are going to keep investing, doesn't it, in whatever the way they can. Yeah, I mean, I think that the interesting thing with Greece has actually been, and this goes back again to to the, the government debt itself, has been the extent to which hedge funds have been lured to Greece by the sudden willingness of the government and government officials to engage with them. So you started having ministerial access granted last summer mm. to, to hedge fund investors. And there was a sort of recognition that actually maybe these people weren't the bad guys and they were offering money and they were offering quite a lot of money. At a time um, when not many other people were. <laughs> that's right. And I think the problem is that there's a tension and the tension doesn't necessarily even exist within Greece, but it's more at the Troika level, as you say, that actually European government don't really want to be seen to be giving these hedge funds a free ride and certainly not sort of altering the terms of the warrants such that hedge fund investors will make even more money than they might have done otherwise, which is basically the other side of that coin, the other side of the idea that the Greek banks themselves want the warrants to convert because they want to get back into private ownership. Absolutely. Reprivatisation in Greece, as in the UK, is uh, is a key mission for these chief executives at the banks. Thanks for that, Sam. We should move on to our third topic, which takes us to France. And we've got Michael Stottard on the line, who has spotted something of a moment in terms of the French bank's development. Michael, you've just done a snapshot of the state of French banking. It's a couple of years on from a very different sense of health in the French banking system, or or rather sense of illness a couple of years ago, looking far healthier today. Mm, Absolutely. I I think what's interesting what's happened in the last few months is that the conversation has really changed from concerns about balance sheets and concerns about the Eurozone crisis to people starting to talk about growth in the companies and what's the, what's the next stage for the companies. And this comes after a torrid few years after 2011, where short-term money market funding dried up for the banks. And there's lots of talk about them being on the brink of disaster. And since then, they've been trying to rebuild their balance sheet and their reputation. But now, uh, yeah, there's a sense that uh, people are looking forward rather than backwards. And in terms of, obviously, the three main banks that we're interested in, I suppose, BNP, Societe Generale and Credit Agricole, there are different points in that cycle, I suppose it's fair to say. BNP may be leading the race, fair to say they fixed their balance sheet six to 12 months ago. Socgen close to getting there and Credit Agricole less so, but everyone thinking about growth in, in some form. Yeah, absolutely. For BNP, it's reflected in its share price. It's trading quite near the sector average, whereas Socgen is a little way behind and Credit Agricole is quite far behind. But they're all starting to talk about turning the corner. I mean, particularly Socgen, it was only really in its Q2 results where it said that it was going to have the 10% quarter one capital ratio by the end of the year and where it started nailing down some growth plans for its investment banking operations and its operations in Eastern Europe, which have been dogged by problems. But again, they were trying to make make a big point of saying how this was going to turn around and this was going to be a big growth area. And it's a very different message from what they were saying just a few months ago, six months ago. And from BNP, I mean, they've obviously been coming out with a drip, drip of growth initiatives over the past 12 months, referring to Asian growth plans and the US expansion plans and so on. But I think I'm right in saying that early next year, they're 
planning to come out with with more detail of of a multi-year growth plan is that right yeah the big announcements are all going to come next year it's not exactly clear what form they're going to take but i think they'll detail every one of their business areas and set out targets and plans for plans for growth whereas at the moment they've talked a bit about germany and a bit about asia and they've got hello bank which is their online pan-european offering i think they'll also want the regulatory environment uh, the regulatory situation in uh, the u.s is clearer they will uh, outline what their plans are there as well and even credit agricole is it fair to say that they're over the hump slightly less obvious answer there I think what they have done is they've got rid of most of their troubled Southern European assets. So this year is the first year where they aren't going to be taking enormous write-downs on selling their Greek banks or uh, or Spanish banks. So in that sense, they have turned the corner. Their balance sheet is clean in a way that it hasn't been for many, many years. Whether it's all absolutely rosy from here, I think is uh, less, uh, less easy to say. I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll get more communication from them over the next few months as well. Michael, thanks very much for joining us from Paris. That's all for this week. Thank you to Tanya, Sam, Michael and Charlene for their contributions. And thank you for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Katie Carney. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.